This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We want to continue to discuss today a subject that we started on our last telecast, and that was rightly dividing the Bible. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We'd like to continue our thoughts on that subject today. But before we do, let me mention the free Bible correspondence course that we have to offer on Know Your Bible. We've been offering this for some time now, and so many of you have have, uh, uh, taken the course and have studied it in the privacy of your home. We want to continue to make it available for many, many more people. And let me emphasize two or three things about this course. First of all, it's Bible-centered. Second, it's free. And third, it's something you can study at your own pace in your home. And so why not pick up the telephone and call for the Bible course? And why don't we pause right now so that we can receive, you can get the information that you need as to how to receive the free Bible correspondence course. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul wrote, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are four interesting things that we need to remember as we study the Bible. Number one, the Bible is inspired of God. Number two, we should study the Bible with an open mind. And number three, we need to remember that we are not capable of knowing all there is to know about the Bible. Well, the fourth thing to remember in studying the Bible is that by the Bible, one day we shall be judged. When we study the Bible, we need to understand that there are two main divisions of the Bible. There is the Old Testament, which is composed of 39 books. There is the New Testament, which is composed of 27 books. And every word of the Old Testament is true, and every word of the New Testament is true. Furthermore, in studying the Bible, we have to understand the three great ages of Bible history. And in a previous lesson, we began to talk with you about the patriarchal age of Bible history. <clears throat> the patriarchal age of Bible history began in the very beginning, in Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was in the beginning that God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that man became a living soul. And it was during this patriarchal age that God raised up certain men, men like Abraham, men like Jacob, and men like Joseph, men like Moses, who would help his people. And they eventually were delivered from uh, the Egyptian bondage under the hand of Moses when they crossed the Red Sea. When the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, leaving behind the slavery of Egypt, 
they began their journey to the land flowing with milk and honey. And God called Moses upon Mount Sinai. And it was upon Mount Sinai that God gave the Ten Commandments, which was the first written law that man had ever received. And with the giving of the law to the Jews upon Mount Sinai, so far as they were concerned, there was the end of the patriarchal age of Bible history. And there was the beginning of the second great age of Bible history, known as the Jewish age or the Mosaical age of Bible history. And that age of Bible history lasted for some 1,500 years. After receiving the law upon Mount Sinai, God's people began their journey to the land flowing with milk and honey. And when they came near the land, a place called Kadesh, they sent spies over into the land. And those spies came back with a report. Two of them said, we're able to do it. Ten of them said, we're not able to do it. And unfortunately, they listened to the negative report, the evil report of those other men. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We're told in Hebrews, the third chapter in verse 19, they entered not in because of unbelief. They just didn't have the faith in God they needed to have. God had promised the land to them. They were able to take it, and God had already given the land to them. But because of their lack of faith, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And eventually, after that period of wandering, the children of Israel entered into the land of promise. And for some 450 years, they were ruled by 15 judges. Now, the last of those judges was a man by the name of Samuel. During the days of Samuel, the people began to request a king. While they said, we'd like to have a king like all of the other nations round about. And Samuel at first thought the people had rejected him, that he should not be their ruler. But God said, oh no, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me, that I should not be the king over them. And so God allowed Samuel to anoint a king. And the first king that was anointed was a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was a handsome young man, standing head and shoulders above all of the other men in the land. And Saul reigned over God's people as king for 40 years. But Saul sinned. And as a result, the crown fell from his head. And then another young man by the name of David was anointed to be the king over, over the children of Israel. And David reigned for 40 years. This is the man who wrote the book of so many of the Psalms, wrote the great 23rd Psalm, which begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. With the death of David, there was the anointing of his son Solomon to be the king over God's people. And Solomon reigned for 40 years. This period of 120 years involving the reign of, of Saul and David and Solomon is the period of Bible history uh, called the United Kingdom. This was the time when God's people were united together. But with the death of Solomon, there was a division in the kingdom. There was a man by the name of Jeroboam who did not want the people to go to Jerusalem, the place of worship, lest they fall under the influence of Rehoboam. And thus Jeroboam set up, set up altars at Bethel and Dan, places for the people to worship. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings, the 12th chapter, verses 28 to 30, that it became a sin. It was a sin 
because he changed the place of worship. It was a sin because he changed the object of worship. It was a sin because he changed the priesthood. And there was a division in the kingdom. This is the period of Bible history known as the divided kingdom. And there was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. There was the northern kingdom. There was the southern kingdom. And it was during this time of the divided kingdom that God had certain writing and oral prophets who to speak to the people and to write to the people. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi, and many others. And these prophets wrote about the coming of the Messiah. For example, it was Isaiah who predicted the birth of Jesus in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. In the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah, he said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he's talking there about the Lord Jesus Christ. There were prophecies about Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament. Why, in Isaiah the 53rd chapter, Isaiah began that chapter by asking, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 750 years before the Lord Jesus Christ ever came into this world, Isaiah predicted the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. You see, all through the Old Testament, there were the prophets that were talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, it was the psalmist in Psalms, the 16th chapter, that predicted his resurrection. When in verse 10 he said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Many years later, when Peter quoted that prophecy on the day of Pentecost, found in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, this is what he said about that prophecy. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So it was during this period of the divided kingdom that there were these men who were predicting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And they were predicting the coming of His kingdom, His church, into the world. Jesus Christ was born during this period of Bible history. That is, during the Jewish age, the Mosaical age. And when Jesus came into this world, Jesus did not come into this world to destroy the Old Testament law. But rather, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 17, we're told that he came to fulfill it. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. And he fulfilled the law in that he lived by the law as no other man had ever been able to do. 
He lived by it perfectly. And that's something that no one else had ever been able to do. But he, lived, he, he fulfilled the law in that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and the predictions that had been made about himself. In Luke the 24th chapter and verse number 44, Jesus said the things that had been written about him in the law and in the Psalms and in the prophets must be fulfilled. And they were fulfilled. And so Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He came and as a result of his death upon the cross, he annulled the law. And I want you to take your Bibles now and turn to Hebrews the ninth chapter and look in verse number 15. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, listen to the, what the writer has to say. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death. That is, it's death by which he became the mediator of a New Testament. And so, uh, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And then, and so in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, we learn that the testament of Christ, his last will and testament, did not go into force until he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he blotted out the old law. Colossians 2.14 reads, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Why was the law given to the Jewish people? That question is raised in Galatians, the third chapter, in verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? That is, what was the purpose of it? And the answer is given, it was added because of transgression till the seed should come. Now the seed, seed is identified in Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 16. And the seed that is identified is Jesus Christ. And so the law was given. It was added because of transgression until Christ should come. Now look in verse 24 and 25 of Galatians chapter 3. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that the law is come, or after that faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. I want you to look at that again. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I suppose about the best way that I know to describe a schoolmaster would be to use the illustration of a school bus. School bus driver goes by with a school bus and takes the students up, takes them to school. At the end of the day, he comes, picks them up, carries them back home. And so here in Galatians 3, the, the, the schoolmaster would take these children to school to the teacher and at the end of the day would take them back home. The law was a schoolmaster that would bring us to Christ. He says, but that we might be justified by faith. But notice verse 25. After that faith is come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Now using just a little bit of logic, we can see here. 
that if we are now justified by faith in Christ, there is absolutely no way that we could be living under the law of Moses. Because by that law shall no man be justified in his sight, Acts 13, verse 39. But we are now justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But how are we justified by faith in Christ? Look in verse 26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ. If the law was to last until men would be justified by faith in Christ, and if men are now justified by faith in Christ, does it not follow that we're no longer under that law? And those who are, are, are believers in Jesus Christ can become children of God by faith in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so that tells us how we become children of God. But the point we're trying to make is that when Jesus died, He blotted out that Old Testament law and He gave us His last will and testament. He gave us the gospel. And all of the blessings of salvation that you and I enjoy today are upon the terms that are found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're asked this question. Well, Brother Lambert, what about the thief on the cross? Do you believe the thief on the cross was saved? And generally what is meant by that or in, suggested by that is do I believe that the thief was saved without being baptized? Well, first of all, he may have been a backslidden disciple of John the Baptist. We don't know. But the fact is this, that the thief lived and the thief died on the other side of the cross. That is, that thief lived and died during the mosaical age of Bible history. The thief lived and the thief died before Jesus died on that cross and gave us this, his last will and testament. Maybe you have your will made out. And in your will, you, you have certain stipulations and conditions. Well, you have the right to change that will so long as you're alive. But once you die, that will is enforced. And those conditions are carried out. And so Jesus Christ with His death gave us His will. Call the gospel. Call the New Testament. And all of the blessings of salvation that you and I enjoy are not upon the conditions found in the Old Testament, but it's upon the conditions that are found over here in the New Testament. And so today in the, this age in which you and I live, we live under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not living under the Ten Commandments today. We hear a lot of talk today about the Ten Commandments. I might hasten to say that the principles that are found in those Ten Commandments have been incorporated into the gospel of Christ. For example, the Old Testament taught that it's wrong to steal. The New Testament teaches the same. The Old Testament taught that it's wrong to kill. The New Testament teaches the same. The, the Old Testament taught that we should honor God and worship God and the New Testament teaches the same. So the principles are there but we're not subject or amenable to the Old Testament law. But in this age, you and I are amenable to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with the death of Christ upon the cross, there was the end of that second age of Bible history known as the Mosaical Age. And there's the beginning of the third age of Bible history, the age in which you and I live today known as the Christian Age, 
or the church age. Those who lived in the patriarchal age were living in the starlight age. They didn't have the spiritual light that men have today. Those who lived in the mosaical age were in the moonlight age. But those of us who are living today in the Christian age are in the sunlight age because we have all religious truth that has been revealed to mankind. And so today we live in the age called the Christian age of Bible history. And what a thrilling thing it is to know that we're living in this age of Bible history. And that age began with the first gospel sermon preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem that's recorded in our Bibles in the second chapter of Acts. It was on that occasion that Peter preached a sermon about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And the people asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And if you'll notice your Bible in Acts the second chapter in verse 38, the answer was given, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so the answer was, repent and be baptized. When the people asked, what shall we do? Verse 41 says about 3,000 were baptized, and verse 47 tells us they were added to the church by the Lord. That's just biblical history. That's what the Bible says about the church in the Christian age. And today, we worship in the church. The patriarchal age was a family worship. In the mosaical age, it was a national worship. It was the worship of the Jewish people. But in the Christian age, it's universal. It's for all mankind. In Acts the 10th chapter, when Peter came to the house of Cornelius, he said, I perceive of a truth that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So all people, regardless of where they are, can be Christians and serve God in the church in this Christian age. And what a thrill it is to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that includes you, that includes me, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And today in the Christian age, we worship God in the church. There are certain identifying features or characteristics of the church in the Bible. One of those is its age. It began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And that was fulfillment of prophecy that had been made previous. In Isaiah the second chapter, verses 2 and 3. In Daniel the second chapter in verse 44. For example, in that passage, the prophet said, and It shall come to pass in the last days, that God, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up unto the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from where? From Jerusalem. And it was in Jerusalem that the New Testament church had its beginning. And then in Daniel, the second chapter, and in verse 44, Daniel said, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And it shall not be left to other people, but it, sh but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. 
He was talking about a fourth great world empire, which would have been the Roman Empire. And it was in the days of that great world empire, the Roman Empire, that John the Baptist came out of the wilderness of Judea preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that is nearby. Jesus began to preach in those days, that is in the days of that great world empire, the Roman Empire, in Matthew 4.17 saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it was in the days of those kings mentioned in Daniel 2.44 that Jesus said, I will build my church. And it was in the days of those kings in Mark the ninth chapter and verse 1 that Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, some of them stand here shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. And it was in the days of those kings on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that the apostle Peter preached that first recorded gospel sermon. And the people asked, What shall we do? And he gave them the answer, Repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. And those that were baptized that day were added to the church by the Lord. And that's just historical count of the beginning of the Christian age of Bible history. I'd plead with you to come apart of that age. We're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.17, Peter quoted a prophecy from the Old Testament from the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, in the last days. And those last days began almost 2,000 years ago. That is, we're in the last age of Bible history. There just won't be another one after this one. This is it. This is it. And you're living in it. I'd urge you to become a Christian today. Become a Christian by believing in Jesus with all of your heart. Because Jesus said, Except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. I'd encourage you to become a Christian because Jesus said, Repent or perish. I would encourage you to become a Christian today, not only by believing and repenting, but by confessing faith in Christ. Because Jesus said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. And I'd encourage you to become a Christian today by being baptized as a penitent, confessing believer. Because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Would you not become a Christian today? Can I help you? Would you please call? I want to thank you for watching today. And may I urge you right now to call for the free Bible correspondence course. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.